1: Over the last couple of weeks, we've had an amazing time looking at church history. We have one final look today as we close out our series. We invite you to join us as we take one final look at John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation. Coming to you from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, online at reformedheritage.org, this is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Gary Wagner. Well, today, Gary gives us one final look at our little mini-series on church history. It's our final look at John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation. It's an amazing look at what God has done over the years to maintain the integrity of his church. With more, here's Pastor Gary on today's Abounding Grace.
2: John Knox, who pastored an English-speaking church in Geneva for a while during Buddy Mary's reign in Scotland, and who studied under Calvin, described Geneva during this period of the last phase of Calvin's life, and he said concerning Geneva that it was the most perfect school of Christ that ever was in the earth since the days of the apostles, end quote. And I truly believe he was right. Calvin found Geneva full of immorality and anarchy, and he developed it into a well-ordered, prospering Christian community. Calvin also had a great concern for education. He set up an academy at Geneva that was the intellectual center of the Protestant Reformation, and it dispersed Calvinism all over Europe. The Academy of uh, of Calvins offered a distinctively Christian education based on Reformed principles. Over 900 men from all over Europe enrolled the first year, and at least that same number of refugees from France and England were educated in his schools. From the school where Calvin taught preachers and evangelists, they were sent all over Europe and even as far away as Brazil in the 16th century. Many of the graduates of the school were sent to France, which was a dangerous mission because to be reformed in a Roman Catholic nation was to be automatically guilty of treason, which was a capital crime. But in time, these Calvinistic graduates of Calvin's academy created networks of secret churches which sent information back to Calvin and Geneva. Services held by these graduates were held in private homes behind heavily covered windows and sometimes in barns and sometimes in fields. And the Protestant Reformation spread like wildfire. Calvin faced and refuted opposition from three basic sides, three basic sources of opposition to Calvin: the Roman Catholic Church, the libertines, and the anabaptist and it 's important for us to understand how we dealt with these three groups and how they opposed the Protestant Reformation, first, the libertines or the liberals these were antinomian socialist they had no love for the law of god they worked towards revolution in geneva against calvin and were working to uh, toward the overthrow of any christian moral order they were not christians in any stretch of the imagination calvin faced not just verbal assaults from them but bloodthirsty opposition I want to read you a story from Calvin's life in which he had to face the bloodthirstiness of the Libertines with great courage and faith. Quote, The Council of Geneva was assembled and never had any session been more tumultuous. The parties, weary of speaking, tired of arguing with one another, frustrated, began to appeal to arms in other words, let's quit talking. It's time for guns. The people heard the appeal and Calvin appears, but he was unattended. He was out without any bodyguards now. He received, he is received at the lower part of the hall with cries of death. People cheering, kill Calvin. Now, here is a sickly little man. His, he folds his arms. He looks at the agitators in the face, but not one of them dare strike him. Then calmly walking through the midst of these violent people with his breast uncovered or his shirt opened, he said, now understand, here's the crowd and they're ready with the swords crying out for Calvin's death. A sickly guy, he tears open his shirt and cries out, you want blood? There's still a few drops here. Strike. Not an arm is raised. Calvin then slowly ascends the stairway that leads to the council chamber. The hall was at, on the point of being drenched with blood. Swords were drawn and flashing. When people saw the reformer, the weapons were lowered. And a few words sufficed to calm the agitation. Calvin, taking the arm of one of the council members, again descends the stairs and cried out to the people that he wished to address them. He spoke with such energy and feeling that tears flowed from their eyes while their swords were hanging down at their sides. The crowd embraced one another, crying on each other's necks, and they left in silence. The Patriots, or what were called secret Catholics, and the Libertines had lost the day. From that moment on, it was easy to foretell that his victory would remain with that reformer. This is what Calvin had to deal with from the Libertines, and now the Anabaptists. Please don't identify the Anabaptists with the Baptist of the United States. Baptists today make a mistake when they identify themselves with the Anabaptists of the 16th century. No Baptist in his right mind should ever want to be identified with these kooks. It was quite a mixed crowd. Let me tell you some of the things these people believed. First of all, Anna means again. Anabaptists believed in baptizing people all over again. Because they didn't believe that other Christian baptisms counted for anything. This was a radical group of reformers. They weren't Roman Catholic, and actually they really weren't reformed. They included revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow any kind of social order. They included people who believed that the inner life you need no connection to the word of God. God would just tell you what to believe. The one place where they did have a connection with modern Baptists is that they had a new doctrine, a new doctrine that no one had practiced for 1,500 years, and that was believers' baptism. They did not baptize babies. They only baptized people upon the profession of faith, and that was unheard of in those days and they were pacifist they didn't believe in self-defense or in war they also didn't believe Christians should hold a political office they believed Christians couldn't take oaths they didn't believe Christians could use the civil courts or judges and by the way they were pure communist they built communist communities based upon the common ownership of property and they were dossist That is, they didn't believe that Jesus was really human, and they were rapturous, which was also a new idea then, waiting for Jesus to come and rapture them out of the tribulation, and then Jesus would return immediately to set up his kingdom. And whenever they took over someplace and set up an Anabaptist kingdom like in Munster, Germany, they would pass unbelievable laws. They took over Munster and they passed a law making it a complete communist state. They required the shared ownership and common ownership of property. They passed a law legalizing polygamy and also to show their freedom in Christ decided it was proper for everyone to run around the streets naked showing that they were not under the law but under grace. So Calvin had to deal with this group as well. Then there was a third group of opposition, and of course that was the Roman Catholic hierarchy. The Pope, the Cardinals, the Bishops, not the people. And you know pretty much the basic arguments and concerns with the authority of the Church over against the authority of God. It is which is over which. Is the authority of the Church over the Word of God, or is the Word of God over the authority of the Church? and of course the catholics believe that the church was over the authority of god is there another authority in the church besides the word of god or is the word of god sola scriptura the only authority is the gospel one of grace or one of works and merits and of sacraments and of rites and penance and indulgences and making points with god he without hesitation would refer to the pope and the roman catholic hierarchy who, in his mind, had corrupted the church as the Antichrists. And there were many details about Roman Catholicism that he repudiated. One was that the Pope was the head of the church on earth. Two, that the Pope, when he speaks ex cathedra, he speaks infallibly. He was particularly repulsed by the Roman Catholic doctrine of the mass, That takes place on the altar, which is what they called it. They would call this an altar. But no Protestant church should ever have an altar. On altars, you sacrifice things. And so you hear about the sacrifice of the mass in Roman Catholicism. It is a Roman Catholic doctrine that every time Mass is performed, Christ is crucified all over again, sacrificed all over again, instead of believing that once for all He obtained eternal redemption for us on the cross. Roman Catholicism teaches that when communion is taken, the bread becomes the literal flesh of Christ, and the wine becomes the literal blood of Christ and that salvation is to be confined to the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. And all seven sacraments are required. And the whole issue is one of making points with God so that you have to be in purgatory for several hundred years, earning your way to heaven. There's nothing hopeful about that type of religion. And all of these doctrines are still held in the Roman Catholic Church today. Well, obviously, these things were um, Calvin opposed. Now, the story of Servetus. I've got to mention the story of Servetus because most people outside the Reformed faith believe Calvin burned Servetus at the stake. Well, that is not the case. But you need to know the story. Servetus was born Michael Serveto in Spain sometime around 1509 to 1511. He was a vicious anti-Trinitarian. He wrote books attacking the Trinity. He even said that the people who believe in the Trinity are polytheists. They are saying, in other words, there is more than one God. He also helped edit an edition of the Latin Bible in which he stripped the Old Testament of all the prophecies that relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he was condemned as a heretic of the worst sort by both Roman Catholicism and Protestants. Everyone wanted his head. Everyone. The entire Christian world saw him as an outlaw, outlaw, and a capital criminal, whether they were Roman Catholics or Protestants. Calvin was continuously trying to witness to this man. All through his ministry, Calvin wrote letters to Servetus to visit his home so he could witness to him. And at one point, Servetus responded that he was going to show up on a certain day. But, of course, he did not. You can't help but imagine... What would have happened if Servetus had met with Calvin? Servetus was a very cocky man. This is a fact that most people don't know. He was a famous scientist. He was, in fact, the first man to ever chart the arterial vein system of the human body. Now, why in the world would a man like Servetus come to a place like Geneva? Very few people through history have really understood. Here Geneva was a hotbed of Trinitarianism, and here was this outlaw whose head everyone wanted, and he shows up in Geneva, Switzerland, while Calvin was there. Now, only reason I can possibly think of for this arrogant guy to do such a foolish thing was that he was hoping to challenge Calvin to a public debate and once and for all he thought refute and discredit calvin on his home turf i don't doubt that would have been that would not have been the outcome but who knows because the b- debate never happened servetus was arrested he was carefully patiently and justly tried in court he was found guilty of teaching heresy and on october 26 1533 was sentenced to death by the Geneva Council, and to be burned alive. Now Calvin had pled with the council time and again to change the way they were dealing with Servetus during his trial. And after his, he was sentenced to be burned alive, Calvin gathered a number of other ministers with him to try and convince the political authorities not to execute Servetus by burning, but by a much quicker, less painful method which was by beheading. But the council refused. Now the reason I told you all this is to make the point that in the trial, conviction, sentencing, and the burning of Savitus, John Calvin did not decide one single detail. Although he did believe, along with the whole Christian world at that time, that the propagation of heresy was a capital offense deserving the death penalty. Sometime look up Leviticus 24:16 let me read to you a quote about Servetus and this is actually anonymous quote christians believe that heresy is an attempt to discredit god's plan but servetus was more than a simple heretic he was a scholar who while pretending to be a christian attacked the very foundations of christianity was a dangerous enemy of the church and if left unchecked servetus would have unhinged both the reformation and roman catholicism and left europe bereft in the ashes of its faith centuries before that actually happened and was actually realized the confrontation between calvin and servetus therefore was one of the high moments of history heavy with not simply earthly but eternal significance many people outside of the reformed theology think of Calvin as a a dictator of Geneva well Calvin never ruled in Geneva he never held a political office the city of Geneva was not a totalitarian society it was a republic it had elections it had opportunities for dissent and disagreement Calvin could not arrest anyone. He couldn't punish any citizen. He couldn't appoint or dismiss any public officials. To say that he was the dictator of Geneva is just pure, simply, simple slander. Now, he died May the 27th, 1564. In his last days, although his voice was broken with asthma and his body racked with pain, he prayed this prayer. Quote, you are bruising me, O Lord, but it is enough for me that it is your hand. He lived to be in those days an old 54-year-old man. He left behind him a model reformed church based upon the law of Moses and the gospel of Christ a flourishing school which was the nursery of evangelical pastors, and a library of books from his own pen, which after 500 years still influenced people's minds and lives. His friend, with whom I began last week's message with, Theodore Beza, said this about Calvin's death. When Calvin died, thus withdrew into heaven, that most brilliant star, which was the lamp of the church. During the following night and day, there was much grief and lamentation in the whole city. For the Republic had lost its wisest citizen, the church its faithful shepherd, the academy an incomparable teacher, and all lamented the, the departure of their common father and best comforter next to God. And Calvin was buried in a simple grave with a small marker inscribed only with the initials J.C. Toward the end of his life, he reviewed his own life and he said these words as he was dying. I'm quite different from other sick people. When they come near to their end, their senses fail and they become delirious, but it seems as if God wants me to concentrate on all my inward senses, end quote. He remained sharp and lucid to the very end. He watched death appear, and he knew when it bent down and touched him at 8 o'clock in the morning on May 27, 1564. So died the man who gave the evangelical movement its theology, whose principles were those of Augustine, and luther and for whom benjamin warfield considered the creator of the protestant church and its freedom no christian leader has ever been so often condemned by so many people as john calvin and the usual grounds for condemnation was the execution of servetus which he had nothing to do with and the doctrine of predestination Yet Servetus was only one of tens of thousands who went to their deaths in Calvin's time, and none of their judges received the condemnation heaped upon Calvin, who had no civil authority and was not even a judge in Geneva. Men of the 20th and 21st centuries who have witnessed without moving a finger For the arbitrary murder of tens of millions have no ground on which to stand and judge John Calvin. Perhaps it is because his doctrine of predestination and the absolute sovereignty of God that so many teeth have been set on such sharp edge against Calvin. He made clear what every man fears. A sovereign God cannot be escaped. Genevans put this body on display after his death, and processions grew so long that they began to fear they would be accused of creating a saint. They stopped the processions and buried Calvin on Sunday, May the 28th, in a common cemetery without a tombstone, just as he requested. Time would prove he didn't need a tombstone so ended the life of one of the greatest theologians of all time. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the great work that you have done, the work of your spirit in the Protestant Reformation, and we thank you for the standard bearer of that Reformation, John Calvin. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
1: Eight six You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number four zero two. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by again calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.